As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm pleased to introduce you to Sandra Feeder. Sandra is a graduate of Stanford University and is an MFA candidate in the Writing for Children and Young Adults program at the Vermont College of Fine Arts, which I think is a long way from San Francisco. She is a black belt in Taekwondo, so you don't want to mess with her, likes to paint, has a sweet tooth, particularly for dark chocolate. I'm a milk chocolate guy, but we can put those differences aside. She's the author of two picture books and three early chapter books. Angry Me is her sixth book and here today to talk about Angry Me and her career is Sandra Feeder. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Sandra. Oh, thanks so much. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you. Uh, so Sandra, tell me, um, where does your story as an author begin? Well, um, I think I am one of those people who goes back pretty far in the idea of storytelling. So um, I have a brother who's five years younger than I am and was one of those kids who was so into the superheroes of the era. And um, so at bedtime, I would sit on his bed and, and make up these stories for him. And he must have been a good audience because it gave me the feeling that I had something to share. Yeah. So that was, I think, where it started for me. Plus, I was also fortunate um, to have a wonderful librarian. I grew up out here in California and um, my elementary school librarian not only introduced us to books, but brought in authors. So in third grade, I had the opportunity to meet 
um, Beverly Cleary. Oh, wow. Alpha Keatley Snyder and these amazing women who had created these worlds that just absorbed me as a child. And so I think I was just bit by the bug really early in terms of thinking, wow, if I could create something that brought a child in and allowed them to see something new or see it in a different way, that would be really exciting to me. So that's yeah. the, the long version of where it all began. Yeah, I love I love that you said um, the library school librarian. I remember my grammar school librarian was a woman named Arlene Smith. And um, I, I used to go, you know, every Tuesday or whatever it was, we'd go to the library, we'd get a book, we'd have to bring it back next week, yada, yada. Uh, my kids wound up going to the same grammar school that I went to. Um, and I when, when we're going on a tour, um, we go up to the library and it was named the Arlene Smith Library. It had been renamed that. And I got a chill down my spine just seeing that because I remember this woman who was so sweet, so nice, you know, loved to help the kids. Um, and I just, you know, I just it kind of brought a tear to my eye too. I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember Arlene Smith. I hadn't thought about her in years. And here we are, you know, standing in her library. All the same books, by the way. None of the books were changed. It was all the same books <laughs> from like 40 years earlier. Um, they, they may need to update their collection, but yeah, school libraries, elementary school librarians can have such an impact and, and libraries are also such a cool place for bookish kids. Yeah. So I, I have found talking to librarians in the modern era that, you know, there's always a group of kids who feels comfortable going in there and it can be both a place of refuge and a place that just so opens your mind. So right. Yeah. So when you were kind of, you know, growing up and kind of in your high school years, your college years, were you thinking, you know, when you were, you know, at Stanford that you were going to be a writer or what was your, what was your career path at the time? Um, I think I did think I would be a writer, but not a creative writer. So um, while I was at Stanford, I worked a lot at the Stanford Daily and um, it's an independent student run newspaper. And I learned so much from my peers and we took our job seriously and I rose to the rank of uh, managing editor. And so I really learned how to write there. Yeah. Um, plus I chose to be a history major at Stanford. Um, I'd always loved history. And I think history gives you a really wonderful perspective both as a human being and a writer. And of course you are producing essays, learning to examine material critically, which also for me tied a lot in to what a journalist does. Um, and I felt like coming out of college, it'd probably be good to have um, something that I could make a living at. And so I did go into journalism and that was the early part of my career. Yeah. So tell me about that early part. What, where did you land as a, uh, you know, a journalist early on? Well, it's kind of a fun story. So I graduated from Stanford without a job. Um, I worked at a news service in San Francisco that summer. I think I had one of those like graveyard shifts. So I'm listening to the police scanner and typing things in at, you know, I don't know, midnight, two in the morning. So it was a good real life entry. Um, I then decided I wanted to go to Washington DC, have a little change of scenery. And so I moved there without a job. And um, finally, after a couple months of trying to make something happen, um, I was offered two jobs on the same day. And it was 
So I was offered a job as a news assistant at the New York Times Washington Bureau. And I was also offered a job as a press assistant with Senator Patrick Moynihan's mm -hmm. office. And he was such a big, important person at the time. And so it was a hard thing. Like, do I want to do more of the political, that kind of route or stay with the journalism? So I ended up as a news assistant at the New York Times, learning from some of the you know great reporters and editors of the day. And that was really uh, an exciting place to be. I was there for about three years, moved back to California and worked for some small local newspapers um, covering everything from Lawrence Livermore Labs to the criminal courts in San Francisco. Wow. Wow. So tell me, when, when did it sort of get into your head? Um, I, and I don't want to overlook Taekwondo, but I'm just curious, <laughs> when did it over, you know, start, um, when did you start to think about kind of writing for children and young adults? So I really started thinking about it when I had kids of my own. Um, I have three beautiful daughters, all young adults now, but um, when they were little, you know, I was just with them all the time, observing everything they did and thinking, wow, there's some some great material here. So I first turned that into a column in the newspaper. Um, we lived in Pennsylvania at the time, and I wrote a column about motherhood, not presuming to give anyone advice, but, um, you know, as a parent, those funny little delicious moments that happen and trying to sort of um, spin a nice story about some of the, the moments of parenthood. Um, and, and at the same time in Pennsylvania, I met a fellow writer, um, a woman who was in a writing group with a bunch of other lovely writers. And a lot of them happened to be children's writers. And they invited me into their group. And it was really from them that I learned the craft of storytelling for children. Wow. Now, when I have to ask, because, you know, you're talking about making up stories for your younger brother. Um, did you make up stories for your kids when they were young? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had one ongoing story. Um, the youngest child, we dubbed the queen baby because she <laughs> I put her I put them all three in the bathtub. And if she wouldn't just sort of push her older sisters out of the way and and, and rule the roost. Um, so she was dubbed the queen baby. And we had a a very funny ongoing story about the queen baby. And eventually the girls would add their little elements to the story as well. So lots of storytelling. Very cool. Very cool. And it sounds like you moved around a lot. I mean, you talk about San Francisco, then Washington, back to the Bay Area, then to Pennsylvania. What, what was all the moving about? I mean, I get the, the Washington one. Um, um, it was my husband's job. So yeah, for me was the move Washington and then back to the Bay Area. I re-met my husband. We had first met when we were teenagers, um, had the good sense not to date then, but we re-met at that time in life and um, reconnected. And then we were on a journey through his uh, graduate school experience. And then his first uh, jobs took us to Baltimore and then to Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, 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 now I have a Billy Joel song in my head, uh, Allentown. Yes, everywhere we've <laughs> lived has its own song. So Good Morning, Baltimore. Oh, sure. Billy yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel, Allentown. Um, I left my heart in San Francisco. So yeah, we try to only live where there's a good song. Right. Or basically anything by the Grateful Dead. Uh, I'd associate with San Francisco and, yes, well, sure. and all that stuff too. For sure. Um, so tell me about the first book you wrote. Um, you know, the first, uh, the first piece of fiction you wrote and, and how that may have been a departure from... You you know, your career as a journalist? So um, 
one of my daughters loves sort of playing with language. And of course, as a writer, I've always loved language. And um, she would use words just in a fun way. She learned the word actually, and you know, everything became actually mom, I'd rather do this. Um, not in a too haughty way, but just, you know, like I learned a new word and I'm gonna use it as often as I can. So I got this idea for a story about a girl who loves words. And um, it turned out to be the first of my Daisy book series. Um, and this little girl, Daisy, her favorite thing in the world is words. And so I first wrote the story though, and I think this is interesting as we're talking about sort of a journey as a writer, I first wrote it as a picture book. And in my mind, it was a picture book. And um, I had submitted some things a while back to a lovely, really accomplished um, editor in Canada named Sheila Berry, who sadly has passed away, but was really a champion of children's literature. Um, and she liked my writing and we had the opportunity to meet and we just really connected. And so she said to me, just keep sending me things. And I said, okay. So I sent her the, the picture book version of this book and she kind of sat with it for a while and finally wrote me back and said, I think it wants to be an early chapter book. And I said, okay, what, how? do you do an early chapter book? So she gave me a list of reading material. I went out and I read a lot of early chapter books and I thought, oh, this could be kind of fun. You have a little more room. You get to create secondary characters. Um, so the picture book to me is still my sweet spot, but it is a confining form. And with an early chapter book, you just have a little more space to tell your story. And then as I got going, I was like, wow, this could really be a series. So I was fortunate that my first book contract um, was for a three book series, which became the, the Daisy series. Yeah, that's so cool. You know, I, as, I, as I listen to you talk and, and just remembering what you said earlier about, you know, a librarian um, in your life um, and then being a kid, you know, I talked to authors of different stripes, you know, people who write adult fiction, people who write nonfiction, people who write memoir. Um, you know, recently I've had more and more sort of young adult and, and children's authors. And I just think to myself, wow, what a responsibility you have. Um, mm. Because you are the, you know, your books, you mentioned Beverly Cleary before, right? Now you, your books are the ones that are really getting kids inspired um, about reading. Um, and I just think that's such a cool, I mean, it's a big responsibility, but I think it's also like a cool thing. Like you're getting these, like, um, you know, as John Locke would say, these blank slates almost, and you're, you get to, you get to kind of fill the slate a bit. Yeah, I think, um, and I really appreciate your saying that. I think it is a huge responsibility and, um, an exciting one. I mean, what could be better than helping a kid discover the joy of reading. So um, my Daisy books really have been a great opportunity for me to go into a lot of schools and talk to kids about the fun of language and words. Um, the second book deals with alliteration and the third with poetry. Um, so those are kind of other fun ways to play with words. And um, I have a little video I made to go with the Daisy presentation I do. And it's a bunch of kids from my area telling me their favorite words. And after I show that, all the hands shoot up in the air and every kid wants to tell me their favorite word. And 
it's just a great to me that's that's why I do what I do I mean just to see the delight on their faces about thinking about words and how they sound and how we use them and their meaning um that's exciting yeah very much so so tell me about angry me uh I know uh, my notes say it's your sixth book um tell me about it so angry me is my sixth book my third picture book and um it's about an angry little girl and um it's interesting because the same editor who I mentioned earlier at one point said to me, so what are you thinking about? And at the time I had these three little girls and I said, I'm thinking about anger. And she said, I like it. Tell me what you got. And I um, really approached this book a little differently than my other books, which have really started out as, as definitely a I don't know, they're, well, just a little different. This one, I really wanted to capture um, in childhood. There's so many moments that feel a little out of your control. And um, really young children just don't have the vocabulary to nuance or explain those feelings. And so a lot of things come out as anger, whether it's frustration, whether it's um, just fatigue or feeling that the world is a little unfair. Um, so this book, um, is told from a first person perspective, which is also a little unusual in a picture book. But I really wanted to go in the side, the head of this angry little person. Mm -hmm. And so she says, I am angry at the start of the book. And then there's different vignettes that show really the normal part of a kid's day, whether it's home life or school life or on the playground or getting dragged around to do errands when all you wanna do is go home. Um, where she expresses different types of anger. I get angry when things seem unfair or when things are frustrating for her. And, um, and then the second part of the book, I wanted to have some sort of resolution of this because as we know, we all get angry. It's a real emotion, but hopefully it doesn't last forever. And so she tries to use her words to cope with some of the situations. And also sometimes it's the words of parents or as we know, can be caregivers who provide that little bit of something that allows you to release that strong emotion. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think about anger, especially with kids, um, a lot of times adults dismiss it as something that's just not acceptable. You know, like, what do you have to be angry about? Um, and that leads to kids feeling kind of unheard and only increases their anger and their frustration. Um, so I think to, to actually have something in first person read by kids that, that discusses anger, um, you know, I think it's, it's very helpful. It's very helpful for kids. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. I think anger is often dismissed in children, right? Um, and yet I'm not sure that does them a service and it doesn't really honor the validity of, of it as a true emotion. And um, somebody said something interesting to me that they thought the book would also, that the girl is, um, my illustrator, Rahale Jamapur Bell did just such a beautiful job with these illustrations. So throughout the story, we see the physicality of her anger, you know, whether it's on the cover, the hunched shoulders or the fists, or there's one scene where she's pointing and you can see she is angry. And somebody said, you know, I wonder if it'll gender conversations of, of not just what a child looks like anger, angry, but maybe a parent too. Yeah. Um, and I think anger is a very real emotion. It was important to me in this one that she be a little girl. And when you said, you know, sometimes anger 
is deemed by adults not to be acceptable in children. I definitely think that's true um, for all kids, but particularly for girls. And certainly when I was growing up, you know, the range of sort of acceptable emotions was kind of happy, sad, cheer, happy, cheerful, but anger, not so much. It, it was more sad, like tears were accepted, but anger in girls. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I, I look back to my own kids. So we have triplets. Um, oh. That's, that's my claim to fame. Uh, besides the Uncorking Story podcast, they're 20 years old now, but I remember, you know, they were young. Apparently my daughter, Maggie, was, uh, I always said she was on a quest for fairness in life. Like if things were not fair, she would just get, she would express it in anger. Yes. Um, she would express it in anger. And, um, and to this day, you know, she gets angry and critical if she feels like she's being wronged or, or and things are often unfair. Look, we have uh, three cars and five drivers. Um, so somebody's not had at least two people are not having cars at some point in time, right? If they're not going in the same direction. So um the anger still still kind of comes up. But it is important for for kids to know that it's okay to feel angry. Um, because I think the last thing you want to do is, you know, tell people it's their fault for being angry because then they'll internalize it. And then as adults, they won't really be able to express their needs. Um, you know, there's there is a domino effect there. Um and I think that earlier we can get to kids, um, uh, you know, letting them know their, their, all these, this whole range of emotions is okay, um, is, um, is a good thing. So I, I certainly applaud you for taking on anger. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I think it is really important. And um, two things that you just said really resonated with me, and that's the daughter who was on a quest to right all the unfairness in the world. And that was my daughter too, um, who was the inspiration for Angry Me. And as a child, it would kind of come out in, in anger when, when she thought things were unfair. And there was one time she was very little and I sent her to her room and you know said in my kind motherly voice, you need to think about what you did. And if she didn't put her hands on her hips and look at me and said, you think about it, mommy. And <laughs> Got to hold back laughter, probably. Exactly. <laughs> and right. So there's a part of me is like, no, you really can't talk to me that way. We'll have that conversation later. But another part of me that was like, you go like good for you for sticking up for yourself. And I see why this moment feels unfair to you. And so I think that unfairness and what I say about the child who inspired this, who is graduating from college, um, is that that anger and what you said, that unfairness in the world has turned into just this huge heart and this beautiful empathy that just emanates for, from her. And so I think um, acknowledging the anger, trying to help them understand where it comes from, helping us understand, it really allows well, I think we're honoring them and allowing them to grow in the way that they need to. And she is just a soul who, same as your daughter, can't tolerate the unfairness of the world and, and will fight for herself, but also for anyone who needs it. And so yeah. I think we that is important. Um, and the other thing you said that really resonated with me is, is we need to let the anger out. And um, in talking to people about this book, one thing that's become clear to me that I hadn't thought so much 
of, I sort of intuitively understood we need to let those feelings out. But several people have said to me, if you don't, they turn inward. And that anger that you might be feeling, like if I could just sort of have it erupt in a moment, it would be done. And if you're not allowed to do that, it can kind of turn inward and, and that can be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. The other watch out there, I think with anger is, and this, um, I, I was listening to a psychologist talk about this on the radio the other day. Um, you know, depression, um, you know, is often looked at as sadness, right? And sadness can't get out of bed, um, you know, kind of withdrawing from, you know, with the world. And he was making an observation that, um, depression in boys often manifests itself, not necessarily just in those ways, but in anger. Um, so, you know, as a mental health issue. Um, yeah. uh, so again, I'm just attuned, of, of course, you know, you think about all these shootings that happen and, and it's, it's, you know, young men who are, who are, um, kind of doing it and just thinking, gosh, um, you know, there, there's gotta be a mental health component there and anger could be like early childhood anger. I mean, that could be, sort of a, a watch at or a red flag or something to, at least to address. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to take us down that rabbit hole, just an observation I was making based on. No, I uh, think all, all of that is on all of our minds lately is yeah. we've had a problem with that and how do we help these kids and um, you know the ones who are really clearly are suffering from mental health crises and, um, and the sort of post-pandemic general anxiety yeah. amongst youth in our society um, are things that we're really going to have to take very seriously. Absolutely. I mean, these kids, and we all have, but I, I, my heart really goes out for kids. I mean, my, my children were seniors in high school, so they lost their senior year in high school and their freshman year in college over it. Um, but, you know, these other kids have, you know, got it. I just can't think about it. But I, I can understand where people would certainly be, or kids would certainly be angry, not really knowing it, but just kind of two years of their life, two plus years of their life kind of stripped away. And these are times when kids should be being kids. Um, kids should be being kids. And, um, you know, when we were talking about why I do what I do. I, to me, it's all about the conversations. I, I very much am a talker as a parent. <laughs> One of my daughters says, you know, you just throw a lot of stuff out and see which one sticks. And I'm like, totally, because I don't, I can't see, I can't read your mind. Yeah. So is this really anger about something or is this that you're frustrated or is this that you got your feelings hurt or is this what you know what comes out as anger or what comes out as you were saying as depression or other strong um feelings and and issues um can have so many underlying roots so you have to help your kids develop the vocabulary you have to keep those channels of communication open yeah um i think that's really really important yeah well, let's um, let's pivot from talking about anger uh, to taking a trip down memory lane. Uh, you as a kid, um, so I've got these questions. I asked uh, everybody who's on this program. Um, your turn to sit in the hot seat. Um, tell me, Sandra, what was your what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were a kid? Oh, TV shows! Um, totally the Brady Bunch Partridge Family era. And then we'd have like family night, which was Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart. So I'm aging myself totally. Of course, yeah. But that's that that was it. Like, you know, Marsha Brady. Ooh. Don't so, play ball in the house. Don't play ball in this house, except I'm the middle child. So I really Oh, you're the more. you're the Jan, you're Jan Brady. I'm Jan. I'm I'm the mm. Jan. Yeah. So right. um yeah. 
Okay, and of course know. the Partridge family. I mean, David Cassidy and oh gosh, yeah. The I've idea a, that you were gonna go around the country in this cool bus and sing with your family. That was great. I know. I have a great picture of my mother at uh, the Tony Awards from some point in time in the 80s. And she's sitting with David Cassidy's at her table. And um, oh my gosh. you know, my, my sister's a little older than me and she was all over it. And I'm like, who's that guy? <laughs> and they're like, oh, because I saw the Partridge family in reruns, so it wasn't as um okay. But, uh, yeah, no, I was yeah. I was real time Partridge family. So uh, Ruben yeah. Ruben Kincaid. Ruben Kincaid, um, Danny right? Boy's getting into trouble. And... To this day, he, he's getting into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Danny yeah. Bonaducci, poor guy. I know um, had a hard run of it, but yeah, uh, not an easy, not an easy life being a child star. No, but, and Shirley um, Jones. So I also grew up with a mother who loved musicals. And so I had been exposed to Shirley Jones in what, Oklahoma, the music man. And then here she is as this cool mom, singing mom with all these kids. So that was kind of fun too, as a family to be able to share, share all that. Very cool. Um, how about this one? Uh, favorite musical artists? Who are some of your favorite musical artists? Um, again, I'll date myself, but um, I am a total uh, James Taylor and Carol King kind of girl. Oh, singer, singer, songwriter era. Singer, songwriter era. I had the opportunity to see Carol King in concert and in the day go to hear James Taylor at the Greek theater in Berkeley, oh. where you're out in this outdoor amphitheater on this blanket, you know, on these huge rocks, just it. It, I'll never forget that. I mean, it was really something. So, yeah, yeah I love James Taylor. God, he just timeless songs, timeless Time. songs, totally um, timeless. And yeah. Carol King, I I loved as you know, a strong woman, female, making it in that business of of writing her own songs and often sung by other people early in her career, and then really having the opportunity to shine as this artist with this just amazing soulful voice oh yeah they, they, there was a, a broadway show about her you know life and career i never got yeah. to see it my sister got to see it she said it was amazing it uh, was amazing i i totally recommend it if you ever get the chance yeah how about this one aside from uh being a writer or a journalist um what's another career you you think you might have liked to pursue when you were younger or even now um i think i might have liked to have been I've been thinking about this recently. I might have liked to have gone gone on in history, studied history as a historian, and or a psychologist. I I think I'm really drawn to write these books that deal with sort of these fundamental childhood issues, and I think it's because I am fascinated with childhood development and how our brains work and and the role adults play in young children's lives. Um, so my other two picture books are one's called The Moon Inside, and it's about fear of the dark, a really common childhood phenomenon, and tying nature into that and how nature can be a kind of soothing thing. And um, my other one is called Bitter and Sweet, and it's about a child who has to move and, and learning to find the sweet and what at first only appears to be kind of a hard or bitter situation. So I definitely gravitate toward that kind of thing. Yeah, that was my initial career path. It was clinical psychology. And then um, uh, after I graduated my undergraduate, I decided to, to work for a year before going back to school. And then I got involved in advertising and I never went back. Um, yeah. But uh, that's how it goes. But I think all authors or many authors 
um, you know, you've got to get inside a character's head. You've got to really understand what makes them tick. So there's a little psychologist um, in inside all of us who, and then you know, a lot of times we're we're working our own stuff out um, on in pages. Um, at least I know I do um, when when I'm writing a, a story or a theme. Um, you know, there there's a lot of me, and I'm sure there's a lot of other authors who put a lot of them into you know their their stories because you have to make it real. You have to make people feel empathy, empathy towards your characters. And, and one way to do that is to try and embody them and, and kind of, you know, kind of, it's almost like method acting, but for writing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I also think one thing people reading these books maybe not don't realize is we live with these characters for a really long time. Yeah. So if there's not some element that feels sort of vitally personally important to you about them and about their story. I, I, for one, would sort of chuck it after, you know, so much time. Um, so you do have to make sure that that it's meaningful to you and, and you hope will be meaningful to other people as well. Yeah. Uh, next up, um, you're thinking about uh, your, your uh, career as a uh, sort of a fiction author, um, not, not thinking about journalism, but what lesson about publishing do you feel that you learned the hard way? Uh, that even after you have your first book published, it's not like the the gates open and and there's people you know playing a, a great symphony in your honor. Um, I think even with books that were well received and um, and I was fortunate because I got a three book contract for my first published work. So I, I already knew I was already working toward the next thing. But I think there's this sense of your first published book being kind of the holy grail in some sense. And, um, and it is, but if you're a writer, you just keep on writing. And I, I feel like the biggest lesson for me is that I always have multiple projects going on. And this is what I do. This is who I am. And um, publishing, the publishing world is is tough. It's um, I was fortunate because I found this editor who liked my work and became my mentor. She went on to become a publisher of another house and took me with her. So my six books um, all had some relationship to her. Um, but and now I have an agent and I I'm doing that route. But um, it's not easy and it takes a really long time. Yeah. Uh, last up, um, thinking about um, that Sandra who's sitting on her younger brother's bed coming up with stories um, for him, which I just love that visual. But um, if you could whisper some words of advice to um, you know that, that younger Sandra's ear, uh, what would you tell the young Sandra? I would just tell her to have confidence in herself and, and her vision. I, I think there was a part of me that always wanted to be a creative writer, um, but you know, it's, it is hard to make a living at it. And um, it's hard to trust yourself in that same way. As, as a journalist, I could learn certain skills. I'm telling other people's stories. Um, to trust yourself to say, I have something important to share and I can do it in a way that will speak to other people feels a little audacious on some level. And so I think um, 
it took me a while to get to the point where I said, I, I really think I do have something to share. And then of course, the encouragement of other people, you know, who, who read my work and would say, yes, you can do this. Um, that is totally invaluable. And shout out to my husband, Dan, who believed that I could be a children's book author and just kept saying, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Keep at it. And he was right. And there you go. You need that support, that encouragement, especially from the ones you love and you're, you're kind of sacrificing time with them as you're investing all this time and, and putting these uh, books and projects together. So um, critical, critical lesson there. Well, the book is called Angry Me. The author is uh, Sandra Feeder. Uh, Sandra, is this um, a book available wherever books are sold? Can we make that assumption? Yes, you can. Absolutely. I always encourage people to try their local independent bookstore. Um, we love to support them, but it is available on Amazon and all your other places. Very good. And any social media or websites you want to give out to people who might want to uh, investigate uh, you a little bit more? Sure. Thank you. My website is my name, Sandra V, middle initial, V as in Victor, and feeder, F-E-D as in David, E-R as in Robert. So, and um, I use my middle initial because there's another Sandra Feeder who's How dare they? So How dare I they know. take that website? So I have to have people look me up as Sandra V Feeder. That's my website and also my social media. Very good. And we'll be sure to put all those links in the show notes for this episode. So uh, those of you listening, don't have to write anything down. You can just look at the show notes and you'll You'll see all the links there. Sandra, thanks so much for stopping by to talk to me. This was a fun conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.